Here we go. It's email Friday on this April the 21st in the year of our Lord 2023. You're listening to Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And before we start with the email we're going to be looking at, I want to remind you that a number of you may have been sending me emails and the business with which I have my emails is having troubles right now. So the new email to send to me is a lot easier too. It's simply tombaker at brick.net. Tombaker at B-R-I-C-K dot net. So if you have anything you'd like to ask me, or that I can reply to on Fridays, that's what you send it to. Also, you may be wanting to order some materials. Tell me which one you're interested in, and we'll certainly get back to you. Tom Baker at brick.net. So we got an email from a Marion de Blasio, B-L-A-S-I-O. He's a Christian writer. He wrote the book, Discerning Culture, and he lives in Toronto uh, with his family. And he wrote an email, I received it, the gospel's resonance in a culture of relativism. Now, relativism simply means that we're living in a culture, in a world, in which many people no longer believe there is objective truth. You can make up your own morality, your own rules, your own laws, and nobody should tell you what you ought to think like. And so religion has lost its influence to a degree. Therefore, in this contemporary culture of relativism, it's increasingly difficult for the gospel to communicate its unique message. Now, if you take a look at the beginning of Mark, Jesus says what his message is, is number one, one of repentance, following in the lines of John the baptizer, and second of all, sharing the gospel promises of salvation. The reason repentance is important is because it prepares the way for Jesus, who is the one bringing the forgiveness of sins. If a person does not realize that they are a sinner, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, they may not be that interested in the message of the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. The word repent today doesn't mean what it meant in previous generations, because today we have educational and therapeutic methods to help people change their lives. In our secular culture, it's generally perceived that humanity's sophistication has outgrown Christianity. And yet, a careful analysis of humanity shows that human beings continue to hanker for antidotes 
to its contextual predicaments of emotional discontentment, thoughts about God still remain in the conversation. Now, Marion de Blasio, he believes that the gospel is deeper than merely something that offers feelings of peace, comfort, and hope on a Sunday morning. But the challenge persists. How to make the grace of God relevant in a culture that's accustomed to thinking relatively? Well, first, we must personally value the gospel. In Matthew 13, verse 45, he quotes Jesus. Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine perils, who on finding one peril of great value, went out and sold all that he had and bought it. So the question is, does the gospel which we preach and teach have an overwhelming sense of preciousness to us? Even secular thinkers acknowledge the potency of something personally valued. In Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life, we've talked about the highly influential Canadian psychologist at the University of Toronto, Jordan B. Peterson. He has many young people, including males, who listen to him because he says quite a bit about the importance of Christianity. Here's what he says in his book. If I value something, I must determine how to value it so that others potentially benefit. It cannot just be good for me. It must be good for me and for the people around me. Furthermore, it needs to work today in a manner that does not make a hash of tomorrow, next week, next month, and next year, even the next decade or century. So he is really pointing out that Christianity is absolutely unique in all other forms where people are trying to get peace or contentment uh, through drugs, through immoral living, through abortion, through things like that, that are contrary to the word of God. As we've been indicating since Easter, what is really important about Christianity is salvation comes not by what you do, not by what you know, not by what you experience, but it comes through a person, a human being, Jesus Christ. And as you trust that he died on the cross for your sins, as you trust his promises, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. As you trust the words of the sacrament of Holy Communion, that you receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That makes a difference 
in how precious is the gospel. So he writes that love, forgiveness, and emotional well-being are what people continue to need, and they're looking for that. Now, ideologies will always emerge. They will make promises and then leave humanity to search for another one because the promises don't come true in philosophical ideologies. In contrast, the good news of the gospel is universal, timeless, and addresses humanity's need for love and forgiveness unlike any other message. It appeals emotionally and it appeals intellectually. It's not at all unusual that when I'm teaching an adult instruction class for adults that occasionally some begin to weep. But they do not weep because they are so sad at their sinful life. They begin to weep because they are so happy that God took care of their sin and has promised them an eternal life in heaven. Unbeknown to many people, a great testimony of personally treasuring the gospel over ideology is found in the person whose name is Catherine Russell Tate, T-A-I-T. She wrote a book about growing up with her famous father. Who was her father? Bertrand Russell. He was an avid atheist, and he had a school of atheism. But when she went to college and she heard about the gospel, she writes that it resonated more than atheism. In fact, In hearing the gospel, she finally became a Christian. This is the daughter of a very famous atheist, Bertrand Russell. Here's what she wrote. As I listened, I began to think that what I heard made sense out of everything. Nothing that was said contradicted what I had learned from my father. And I was not offered a faith full of the absurdities he delighted in ridiculing. For me, the belief in forgiveness and grace was like sunshine after long days of rain. No matter what I did, God is there to forgive me. Now that's the writing of Catherine Tate, whose father, Bertrand Russell, was a very famous atheist. And she had heard the many arguments of atheism against the ridiculousness of Christianity. But when she heard proper Christianity, she realized that the arguments her father had used were no longer valid because he had made straw men out of the teachings of Christianity. 
I mean, we, we hear this even among many pastors today who talk about that Christianity is all about loving your neighbor. And the more you love your neighbor, the more you do good works. Guess what? God is going to be pleased with you, and he's going to reward you with salvation. The, the problem with that thinking is that deep down we know many of the works we do do not have the proper motivation. We don't do them out of love for Jesus. We do them out of love for ourselves, to make ourselves look good in front of other people or to feel better about ourselves and many other reasons. God judges our right, our works by our motivation, not just by the deed that is done. Well, what happened to Catherine Tate, daughter of atheist Bertrand Russell, she married a pastor and together served in missions and pastoral ministry for decades with fruitful results, as many people heard both her husband as pastor and she as she shared the message of Jesus Christ with others. So today, we no longer exist in a shared center where people understand what we mean by Christian terminology. Gabe Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, and David Kinnaman, K-I-N-N-A-M-A-N, noted that well up until the last few decades, our nation's leaders frequently acknowledged Christianity as the shared center of humanity's thinking. When Christian terms were spoken, it was assumed that people understood them. Well, we no longer have the luxury of a shared center whereby people understand Christian talk. In fact, what in this article that Marion Blazo shares is an experience that he had when one day after speaking at a church, he walked into a cafe. He ordered an espresso, and the fellow serving him asked him what I had planned for the day. He said, I told him that I just finished speaking at a local church, and he curiously interjected by asking, what did I speak about? I replied that I spoke about how the gospel can provide deliverance. He looked at me quizzically and asked, what are you talking about? You see, that is really true. Many of the stories in the Bible are no, no longer taught even in Sunday school, if a church even has a Sunday school for children. Rather than Bible stories, they're taught about keeping the environment clean, uh, watching who your friends are, staying out of trouble, etc. I had a college graduate 
who was going through my adult instruction class. And I mentioned about David and Bathsheba. And he put his hand up and said, I've never heard of them before. Who are they? And I said to him, haven't you even seen the movie? That's where David commits a sin with Bathsheba. And they have a child. And David ends up murdering her husband. And of course, that child dies. And David repents of it and is forgiven. But this college student hadn't even heard about David and Bathsheba. This is why one of the books I like giving out to adult instruction people is a summary of the Bible passages. For example, if you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find the feeding of the 5,000 in all four Gospels. But each of them are in each Gospel for a different reason because the writer of the gospel is trying to make a point and he uses the feeding of the 5,000 to make that point. And so it's got a different kind of purpose in each of the gospels, even though it's the very same event. Well, in the book I hand out from Concordia Publishing House, it's a summary and only speaks of the feeding of the 5,000 once but you learn about the history of the Old Testament, the history of the New Testament, and the many sermons and teachings of the prophets and the apostles, and bring someone up to date if they haven't been trained in hearing the message of the scripture, which is really occurring in this day of relativism. You see, the solution is not to get rid of the gospel's unpopular terms like sin and repentance. We must remain on point with the gospel's message while we are sensitive sensitive that people have hardly any appreciation for the exclusivist demands of the gospel. Eloquent theology and sharp language alone cannot be relied upon to influence people. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. His message was to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You know, some people are able to speak that even if they're reading from a phone book, you're kind of interested in their tone, in the variety of volume, etc. They're just good speakers. But Paul says the way to convince people of the importance of the Christian faith is to speak the gospel, which is throughout the whole Bible, all about Jesus how he became incarnate. Being God, he also is a human being for the purpose of dying, which he did on the cross. He was your substitute in taking care of your sins and promising you eternal life, as well as a life on earth where he will never leave you nor forsake you. 
a fruitful conversation about the gospel is one that will connect spiritually with people. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We simply say the words of the Bible. We repeat what Jesus reveals to us, and the Holy Spirit takes those words and gives faith to the listeners. In gospel conversations, people often experience a personal sense of sin and righteousness and judgment. And they have learned that tone and temperate passion can contribute to the gospel's resonance with people. Remember, what the daughter of Bertrand Russell said. As I listened, I began to think that what I heard made sense out of everything. Now, if you just give the Bible to an unbeliever, he will not see any sense in the Bible because most of the Bible is quite ridiculous. People walking through a Red Sea on dry ground, being fed 5,000 of them with just a few fish and bread, of a man from Nazareth dying on a piece of wood, and we are forgiven, and heaven is our home. That's ridiculous. But the more you hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit can create faith, which means you begin to believe what the Bible has to say. The gospel is indeed our pearl of great value. It's not valued in an ideological sense, but personally by its wonderful work of salvation in our own lives. Yes, we may no longer in this country or the world have a shared center of cultural thought, but an intelligible explanation of the gospel can still make a powerful appeal to a person's inner being. So if you're giving out birthday presents or Christmas presents or presents for Valentine's Day or Thanksgiving Day or July 4th, give some consideration in purchasing from Concordia Publishing House a version of Martin Luther's small catechism. Uh, it can be found in about 18 pages, a short pamphlet talking about the commandments, the creed, the Lord's Prayer, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and other things. And as people read it, the Holy Spirit can create faith so people believe it. And maybe they can go to an adult instruction class where they can be more fully advised as to the true meaning of these wonderful words. Remember what Jesus says, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That was a tremendous sign of unity 
in the early church, namely, and eating together, not just of Jews, but of Jews and Gentiles. Remember Pentecost, even Arabs were there for the day of Pentecost, as they had been converted to the Jewish faith and then became Christian when they heard of Jesus Christ. So this can happen if it can happen to the daughter of an atheist named Bertrand Russell. It can happen to anyone. Our task is simply to explain the message of why Jesus died on the cross and why he rose from the dead. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead as a guarantee that when he says, it is finished, it was finished, namely the work of your salvation. There's nothing you need to add to it. And you as a person can now know that you are saved by a single person who suffered, died, was buried, and yet rose from the dead for your salvation. That's what law and gospel is all about, showing that there's no salvation by our obedience to the law, but the law is obeyed once we are totally saved. And even though we continue to sin, you have the gift of forgiveness that God provides you. If you have any questions on what we are saying on KFUO, you can email me, Tom Baker at brick.net, and I'll be glad to reply on the radio. And if you're ordering things, Make sure you put your home address down and your telephone number because a lot of times I have questions and I would like to talk with you. Thanks so much. Be back on Monday for another session. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.